Welcome to Look Ahead 2017, a series of podcasts by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, discussing the events, trends and processes to watch out for in the coming year. I am Paola Buonadonna. Today I'm joined by Dr. Angus Armstrong, Director of Macroeconomics here at NISA and Senior Fellow at the ESRC's UK in a Changing Europe programme to explore the question of what's going to happen with the Brexit negotiations. Angus, 2016 has been quite a year, hasn't it? It has been an extraordinary year and some of the outcomes that we've seen have really reflected some of the longer term economic forces over the past couple of decades, such as pretty much unfettered globalisation, incredible technological progress, changing how we work, uh, also the view that smaller government is probably better. So these forces have led to some insecurities, some concerns about the pace of regional differences, but also um, about inequality, persistent inequality of opportunities. And once we had this slower economic growth after the great financial crisis, these have really become uh, much more uh, centre of focus. Culminating really in the Brexit referendum in June, where we decided to ask the people, the outcome of that was that the UK will be leaving the European Union. As we look into next year, the question is to learn from what were those underlying forces and to try to negotiate the best possible Brexit outcome for the UK. Now, we've heard a lot about what Brexit means. We've heard for weeks and weeks that Brexit means Brexit, which means very little. Then we've been told that it should be a white, red and blue Brexit. Um, are we going to finally learn what Brexit means in 2017? Brexit means that we need a new trade and investment relationship with the EU and by extension with our partners around the rest of the world. So we now uh, are faced with the process of negotiating our exit from the EU and in doing so we must lay the foundations of our future trade and investment relationships and that's what lies ahead for this year and into next year. So let's talk about the triggering of Article 50. We are told this is meant to happen at the end of March. Is that going to happen, do you think? The Prime Minister's put an awful lot of her own political capital into saying it will happen by the end of March. So barring any legal process blocking that, then I think it's probably fair to assume that end of March it will be. However, as we look past March, we have an extraordinary number of events coming up. We have the French presidential elections taking place just one month later. And then later on in the year, the German elections are going to take place. So we trigger Article 50 in March, but then the next six months are going to be taken up with absolutely crucial elections amongst our key negotiating counterparts, France and Germany. My view has been that if we want the best possible Brexit, since this is supposed to be an irreversible process... Well, why not find out what you're going to be dealing with, who you're going to be dealing with, and wait till these elections, or at least the French election, which is one month later, wait till it's out of the way, and then trigger Article 50. But I have to say, I think so much political capital has been sunk, it will probably happen in March. I don't think that's the optimal way to be proceeding, though. And also, we, we, we understand that we don't even, we're not going to even have the full two years. We're going to have possibly just 18 months from the triggering point. Is that enough to get an agreement? Well, the Article 50 is really about the so-called divorce settlement. It's how we withdraw from the EU. Now, there has to be reference to the future 
arrangements between the UK and the rest of the EU. The difficulty here is to have a deep trade and investment arrangement for the future well, they typically take years to negotiate, and you've got 18 months at best to deal with this. So that's where it's going to get difficult. There's no guarantee of you ratified. So where does this lead us in terms of the negotiating process? Well, if I was on the European Union side, I would think, well, perhaps 2017, there's not going to be much negotiation at all. I'll let my British counterparts sit and stew, and then they'll have to come to the table with some very realistic proposals because it's much more damaging if, for us if we don't get an agreement. So I think we're going to see through 2017, despite all of the emphasis going to be put on Brexit, actually not much substantive progress. First, because of the elections taking place in Europe, but second, it's in the interests of the Europeans to delay until Britain comes back with realistic proposals, and then we'll probably see a deal taking place in 2018. There's been a lot of talk actually about a transitional period because of this difficulty of negotiating a, a you know, full trade agreement in a short period of time. What do you think about the need for a transitional agreement? A transitional agreement makes obvious sense. If we can't reach a full and comprehensive trade and investment deal, well, we better have a staging post, a transitional agreement, uh, until we can. Now the difficulty is that transitional agreements can quite soon become sort of fairly permanent agreements and therefore it's going to be in both parties' interest that that transitional agreement is going to be something which at least is towards the final resting place. That It's got to be consistent with what both of them see as the end agreement. That means you've got to be able to sort out the end agreement before you can establish what will be the right transitional agreement. You've got to finish the end game before you can work out the transitional. And so it's much more difficult than it looks. And you're still going to come, I think, to the two minutes to midnight deadline before we actually see what this final position would, 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 would materialise as. You don't think that the government and Mrs May has in that end game in mind yet? They're not going to tell us what it is, but do you think that they don't actually know? Well, she's very clearly said some so-called red lines. One of them is that we are not going to pull out of the EU just to give up our control on, on immigration again. So we're going to have to have some limits on the free movement of labour. Second, she has said that we are going to be outside of the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. That's fine, but we're going to have to have uh, an international arbitration system for whatever new trade and investment agreement that we have. So would the European Free Trade Association Court be satisfactory? Do we have to go to some sort of uh, investor state dispute settlement system, much, much criticised by many countries? What judicial system will we move in towards? And these are the issues that are still yet to even be discussed. So there's a lot of detail to be decided, even just on those two red lines. So my view is that this is still in a position of flux. There is no firm uh, finishing point, but there are some clear red lines. Businesses, I also believe, are becoming more vocal about some of their concerns. It may well play to people to talk about reducing immigration, but bear in mind you could be hurting the economy here at the same time. It may well play to say we're going to be outside of foreign judges, in fact, you're going to have foreign judges. Any judicial system in the world between countries has foreign judges. Do you see, therefore, a groundswell in favour of a so-called soft Brexit? And what, what is it that we mean by soft Brexit anyway? Soft Brexit normally means that we have 
a sort of associate membership of the single market. That really essentially requires us to accept the four so-called indivisible freedoms. The question there becomes, while accepting that, can we have some softening on the free movement of labour? Possibly, but then would you accept the European free trade, the EFTA court? Would that be acceptable? Switzerland probably offers the best hope because they have uh, free trade for goods, but the crucial one is services. And here you need to have a judicial system. And that's why the EFTA court is actually quite powerful. Would the government find the EFTA court an acceptable means? It sits next door to the European Court of Justice. We don't know. Nobody said anything about the EFTA court. That's the soft Brexit. Outside of that, we're left with free trade agreements. Now, free trade agreements sound like they say on the tin. Unfortunately, more than half of our value added in trade comes from services, and they're typically not covered by a standard free trade agreement. That's where we need the investor agreements and we need a deep trade agreement. That's much more complicated. That involves a huge amount of negotiation and will ultimately involve some sharing of sovereignty. Realistically, it sounds as if by the end of next year we will not have much more clarity. We will not be anywhere near the end of this process. Will our economy withstand the uncertainty that goes with it? Well, the longer this uncertainty goes on, the more difficult it is because investors will start getting concerned. What does it mean about their foreign direct investment in this country? Will we continue to have investors looking so positively as they have done for years if that uncertainty isn't removed? I think that we're already seeing some firms saying they're at least starting to think about contingencies uh, um, uh, for their, their, their location at their European headquarters. So that's one aspect. I think investment will probably be softer as we go into next year. And the other aspect, of course, is we've seen sterling fall. That's going to mean higher prices in terms of uh, our, what we buy. That higher inflation is going to make it more difficult for households to continue this current rate of consumer spending. We think it's going to be another year of purchasing power of the real incomes of households being at best flat. So it's going to be difficult. We can't keep reducing our savings. Our savings ratio is already back down to where it was in 2008, and we know how bad that period was. So I think it's going to be weaker growth in uh, 2017. I think that's almost unavoidable from here. Now, some people didn't want Brexit at all. Some people wanted Brexit and think that, in fact, the UK will eventually be much better off outside the EU. But in the interim period, is there any silver lining in the chaos and uncertainty of this interim period? Well, one thing I would certainly say is, before the Brexit vote, was there any sign at all of anybody going to address some of these regional issues, some of these inequality issues across the UK? No sign whatsoever. So at least these deep divisions that are across the country are now very much on the table. We have a Prime Minister talking about industrial policy, a Conservative Prime Minister. This was a Labour strategy in the 70s and not a very successful one. So the most interesting issue is how is she going to make that first a Conservative strategy and second and much more important a successful strategy? Regional policy. In the past we've just said well as long as people are mobile that's fine but actually we're beginning to at least take account that we have to think about the economic prospects, the number of opportunities for people who live across the rest of the UK and start realising it's not just about people who live inside the M25, but it's about prosperity for the whole of the country. And I think that at least Brexit 
has put those things squarely on the table and the most interesting issue for next year is how are the, is the government, is the government going to be serious and what are they going to do about dealing with industrial and regional policy in this country. Thank you very much, Angus Armstrong. And I should add that the National Institute has done a lot of work on Brexit and its implications. If you want to read uh, a few more papers or blogs, get acquainted with our research in this area, please visit our website, www.nisa.ac.uk.